Broadcasting live from Discount Band of Brothers, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. I'm Garrett Strother. Hi, hello, I'm here again, Ricardo. How's he doing, Hi. gentlemen? I was just about to ask, Garrett, I'm doing good. It's getting colder, closer and closer to Halloween. I'm getting excited. Oh, yes. We've got a nice spooky time today. Not exactly a traditional Halloween movie, but... Well, yeah, that's true. I'm I'm excited to get into that. But first, why don't we dive into a little bit of news? And it really is a little bit. We've only got a few pieces of news today. We're usually packed with news here, but we, we truly only have just a few highlights. In Amazon's effort to own everything, they have bought the distribution rights to the sequel to Coming to America... Coming to America, starring Eddie Murphy, and it will be dropping on Amazon Prime on December 18th. I've actually never seen the first Coming to America. I only know it from its absolute cult status in 90s comedy, so I can only imagine this is going to be pretty good. Yeah, I've never seen Coming to America either. Ricardo, have you seen Coming to America? No, I know Eddie Murphy wears fur. That's That's about it. I started it once with my dad when I was like... 13, and there were a bunch of naked ladies in the first scene, and he said, nope, and then I never went back. (laughs) You stepped out of the room and never looked back. Goodness gracious. I assume Eddie Murphy's gonna be starring again? Yeah, Eddie Murphy's back. I think a good chunk of the cast is back. Again, I just don't know a lot about Coming to America, but I'm excited to watch this one. I'll prep by watching the first one. Totally. It's a good excuse to go back and watch a classic comedy that I just have let evade me all these years. We've also had a couple of production announcements in the news lately. Patty Jenkins is set to direct a new Cleopatra movie starring Gal Gadot. So a reteaming of Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot, obviously, who made Wonder Woman and the upcoming Wonder Woman 1984 together. Personally, I think Wonder Woman is one of the only genuinely good modern DC movies of this, you know, this new universe that we've been poking around in, and they work well together, obviously. I'm bummed that 1984 got pushed. Obviously, I'm excited to see that, too, so I'm curious to see how this one is going to go as well. I'm sure they'll produce something really interesting. Yeah, I'm curious about exactly what part of Cleopatra's life is it going to follow? Is it going to be a huge, sprawling biopic type deal is it going to focus on specific eras of her life yeah personally i hope it's like kind of a big sprawling epic about cleopatra i think that would be a really cool uh, piece to see you want to talk about like the controversy with this yeah so the production is also catching flack for hiring gal gadot who is israeli to be an egyptian leader she herself was like greek i'm not a historian i'm a student of history guys you know that but... <laughs> There is some back and forth, I know, in the historical community about exactly what Cleopatra would have looked like, what her ethnic background was. So if you you want the most historically accurate version of Cleopatra, you guys uh, check out Clone High. It's free on YouTube. Hey, this isn't the rec center. (laughs) In other news... Another announcement that Warner Brothers is officially moving ahead with a Furiosa prequel movie from George Miller, obviously following up on the character introduced in Mad Max Fury Road. She will not be played by Charlize Theron. It will be Anya Taylor-Joy from Split and the New Mutants playing young Furiosa. And also Chris Hemsworth and Yahya Abdul-Mateen II from Watchmen 
will be joining the cast. Wow, this is pretty big news. I remember after the success of Fury Road, there was so much talk about a Furiosa solo movie, but I had always heard the rumors that it was going to be more of a sequel that would like pass the mantle from Max Rakitowski from the original like Road Warrior Mad Max stuff onto... Max Rakitansky, Seamus? Whoa, have <laughs> I been pronouncing this fictional character's name wrong? Rakitowski? Rakitansky? Jesus, Rockatansky. I am. Ugh, I apologize to Mel Gibson. No, you do Mel not. You no, I don't. I don't apologize to him. <laughs> So yeah, I had heard the same thing that you had heard Seamus about the potential of it being some kind of Furiosa standalone, about what happens after the events of Fury Road, but apparently Miller and Theron had worked on this story and it had actually been written before Fury Road has even finished filming. Oh, no kidding. So I don't know if that means that they actually were planning on turning it into a movie or if it was just something that they had discussed extensively about Furiosa. Miller said in an interview that he had wanted to do it with de-aged Charlie Theron, but he just doesn't think the technology is there yet. To which I say, it's kind of like the Sam Jackson thing, where Charlie Theron looks the same as she did 20 years ago. I mean, So, yeah. why not? Yeah, the but... technology is there. I don't know what he's talking about. I mean, I feel well, like I mean, technology is especially there for, like you said, people who look more or less the same as they did. He specifically cited The Irishman, which is a bad example. I think The Irishman's a good movie, but I do think the de-aging in that is pretty rough. Obviously, Sam Jackson and The Irishman are the only two examples that I could think of that are over the course of an entire film. I think realistically, as successful as Fury Road was, and as much money as I'm sure Warner Brothers would be willing to put behind it, they're probably going to have a budget closer to that of The Irishman than to that of a Marvel movie. So if that's what Miller thinks he needs to do to make his vision come true, I'm all for that. I'm interested in seeing where he takes this character, although I really do wish that we were seeing Theron come back to the role. Though I'm really glad that they're making another Mad Max movie at all because that was really up in the air for a few years because of a contract dispute between Warner Brothers and Miller's production company about proposed budget versus like studio kickbacks and all this complicated financial stuff that has apparently been resolved. Well, yeah, I'm glad to see that it's coming back too. And I don't, I don't know if you just said it is George Miller directing or is he just writing, producing? Because I know that was also up in the air whether or not Fury Road was going to be his last Mad Max directed movie. It sounds like he's coming back in the director's chair. Now, I think that could change depending on how long this movie takes to make because he is old. He's Yeah, he's getting up there. I've only seen Fury Road, but I enjoyed the hell out of that one, so I'm not like a huge Mad Max Whoa. person. But... So you've never seen... I'm sure I've pitched you the original one, right? Where it's not even the apocalypse yet? Yeah, isn't he just a guy? Yeah, he's just a cop who has like a super fast car and a very vengeful mission, and it's crazy. I think, hey, maybe do the whole recap. Well, maybe not all of them. I know you didn't say the words beyond Thunderdome, but I, I take <laughs> offense already, okay? <laughs> Can't we just get beyond Thunderdome? I agree, Seamus. It would be fun to do a little Mad Max retrospective for the podcast when this new one comes out. All right, moving on 
here is news that I have no opinion on. Showtime has confirmed that they are reviving Dexter as a limited series. Boo! <laughs> I, that's the worst. Not a Dexter fan, Dexter? No, dude, they reeled me in is the problem. That show is so good for three seasons, and it has, like, seven seasons. <laughs> Oh no. And I like they end with such a great subplot with John Lithgow as this other serial killer character and it's so good and they wrap up the season with him and then they start on the next one and it's just like I don't know what happened in between seasons but it turned into garbo trash. Showtime. Why? Well, I won't watch this, but <laughs> I'm I've turned I'm off Garrett for- to Dexter. Is anyone happy about this? I don't know. I'm sure there are Dexter fans out there. Yeah, that was a nice short news segment this week. Not too much going on. But now, let's move on to our main segment. I take you now to the eve of D-Day. A plane full of men cruising into Nazi-occupied France. I don't know why I'm setting it up like this, but... (laughs) Three months ago, I was cutting grass in my front yard. And the mailman shows up with a letter from the army. Now I'm here. No idea where I'm gonna end up. I've wanted to see this film, Overlord, since it came out in 2018. And, you know, my motivations for being so excited for this film are drenched in Cloverfield fanboy desperation. But I will say, after finally seeing it, a while after its release, I think it's pretty good. I enjoyed myself here. Ricardo, had you seen this movie before? I have not. I've only ever... I think I've seen the trailer once, and I know about it, just because I've talked to Seamus before. And if you have one conversation with Seamus, you know he's going to bring up the potential Cloververse. Oh, I'll draw you the whole Tagruato diagram. Trust me. I don't even know what that word means. I'll be honest with you. Well, Garrett, no, it's I'm not a gonna clover get it right thing. Now. <laughs> you wouldn't get it. Yeah, is it exactly. a clover thing? Okay. Oh, big time. This is for the Cloverfield episode, though. This is, though I would have wished otherwise, specifically not a part of the Cloververse, even though it is produced by J.J. Abrams and was actually on the Paramount slate for a long time as untitled Cloverfield sequel, then changed to Overlord, then got revealed that it's not so much Cloverfield anymore, and then it's a whole big mess that is is very confusing. I saw this movie in the theater when it came out, and I didn't know anything about the fact that it was potentially in the Cloververse or anything like that, but now that you have told me that, I think it's especially confusing that it starts with over? Cloverlord, anyone? That's what we were all <laughs> clamoring for. That's what we were clinging on to. It's like, it's J.J. Abrams. It's a possible fake name, just like 10 Cloverfield Lane had until, like, right before it got released. It's sci-fi, weird horror stuff. It was the perfect storm. But alas, it was confirmed a while before it was released, unlike the secret releases of 10 Cloverfield Lane and the Cloverfield Paradox. This is definitively detached. Well, let's talk about it on its own merits, then. Because I think this movie is a really good time. It follows 
a small group in the 101st Airborne flying into Nazi-occupied France, just as Seamus said earlier, who have a mission to take out a Nazi communications tower before the boats get to Omaha Beach. The casting, I think, is really good. It is definitely derived from old 50s B-movies, which is evident from the black and white at the beginning and the way the title card sprawls out over yeah, its opening yeah. shot. It's a really great way to set up that movie because it really is just the filmic language of the films that it is channeling. Yeah, especially considering how this film really buries the lead of where it's going for the longest time. It's, like you said, kind of set up in more of the B-movie fashion, but it feels like a more legitimate World War II war film for about an hour straight. We'll talk about that war in spoilers, I think. Spoilers for sure. My parents, for example, who I watched this with last night, who I was not expecting them to be interested in watching this movie. It was very interesting to watch it unfold Oh my god, that Uh, is so insane to just trick your folks like that, Garrett. (laughs) My god. They quite liked it. Both of them quite liked it. I'm glad. There was a point where there is some particularly gory stuff where my mom started hitting the pillow next to her and going, Oh my goodness, make it stop. (laughs) (laughs) somebody think of the children (laughs) they both could not stop seeing kurt russell and wyatt russell which neither can i he is snake plissken in a few key moments in this movie that are so much his father it's it's crazy Wyatt Russell plays the battle-hardened senior officer of the group that has already seen battle in italy I'm sure he is frustrated by how much he must be compared to his father, but really, he is doing a tremendous Kurt Russell impression in this movie. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, it's a little bit his fault for keeping his hair like that in every role he's in, (laughs) but, like, the Russell jeans are just so long-haired and muscular and good-looking. It's crazy. He has to be that way. It's like a werewolf. He doesn't have a choice. The hair is especially puzzling to me because that hair is in no way era appropriate. It wouldn't have been fashionable. It wouldn't have been allowed in the military. (laughs) Ah, but you see the scar on his face. He's too much of a badass to have a barber cut his hair. But this is the oververse, Garrett. I do not care even a little bit about trying to keep this movie to any kind of historical (laughs) Historical accuracy accuracy. because it is not interested in that at all. So I let this movie have all of the leeway when it comes to historical accuracy. You want to dig in? Let's take it from the top. Like we said, we are shot down over Nazi-occupied France, and we have only a few survivors from the plane. We've got Boyce, our protagonist, who is not cut out for the military. Just as a preface, I'm not a war movie guy. Like At a certain point, they all kind of start to run together for me. I could not wait to get out of that plane, man. It just felt like all of the army dialogue from every movie ever. Our broadcasting location was Discount Band Brothers today. And I think that this movie is very intentionally channeling army archetypes, like specifically World War II movie archetypes, because a lot of contemporary depictions of like World War II have the exact archetypes that show up in this movie. And they're not really super interested in, in going beyond that in most of the characters in this. 
I had fun with it. It's a cool, like, kind of cheesy B-movie. With these kinds of movies, I also, like, don't always retain whose name is who, so I just gave everybody nicknames. Yeah, let's break down the squad and you can share your <laughs> nicknames with us. So we've got Boyce, our lead, who we already said isn't cut out for the army, according to every single other person in this movie. I called him private rookie protagonist through the whole thing. Absolutely there you go. We already touched on Wyatt Russell's Ford, the battle-hardened leader of the crew. For him, I just wrote down a super, super tough guy. Which he is. <laughs> just everything out and of his mouth was some kind of like, almost like tough guy one-liner from a movie. So he really was his own father. We've got Tivit, who's from New York. Aptly named, I've been calling him just New York style pizza. Is this man always chewing every scene <laughs> yeah, he's in? He's got gum or whatever the whole time. He right? got blasted out of a plane, but the gum made it? I think that's an actually a really interesting note because they don't show this happen, but in the plane at the beginning, Boyce drops his pack of gum. And in addition to his pack of gum, he also drops his good luck charm. And we see Tivit pick up the good luck charm and taunt him with it, but I think what his chewing over the course of the movie also implies is that he also took all of Boyce's gum. <laughs> no! Good. Boyce was gumless. I didn't pick up on that. I, I was just focusing on the necklace he, he dropped, but good catch, Garrett. Next down the list, we've got Chase who is the gun-shy photographer who is, I think, Simmons or Fitz, one of them from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a show I watched oh. six episodes of. Oh, I didn't even know that. <laughs> I've just been calling him a Jimmy Dumbass ace photographer. Just carried around cameras, getting them smashed by Wyatt Russell. Love it. That is a classic Kurt Russell move. That's a cool camera. Let me see it. He's like, oh, yeah, you want to see it? And he tosses it over to the side. Very much Kurt Russell. And then I think lastly, we have Rosenfeld, who is wearing his little Cubs trading card in his helmet at the beginning of the movie. Oh, I didn't notice that either. Dude, I'm just so stupid, apparently. This is becoming my character on the show, is I'm a dum-dum, because I just don't notice anything. So did he get... He's the other one. Okay, interesting. We do have Bokeem Woodbine as their sergeant. Oh, yeah. Which is fun to see him pop up. I love Bokeem Woodbine. He's always great when he pops up for 10 minutes. I was going to say, however short his role may be. And then our other major characters are Chloe, (laughs) Chloe. the French townsperson who takes in our little band of soldiers. Oh, and her little brother, Paul. And the Nazi Waffner. Waffner, yeah. No one has ever screamed Nazi just by their appearance more than this man. His introduction was everything, like, except for being actually the intro of Hans Landa in Inglorious Bastards. So saying that this dude just visually is the Naziest Nazi is very true. Something about Nazis where they're always, like, slick. I'm not a history buff. Is that a thing that I don't know about? Was that, like, mandatory? Nazis were very preoccupied with appearance. Like, even by military standards, they wanted to look both uniform and good, but also they wanted to look elegant and intimidating. So while, you know, in the U.S. military, you usually see guys with crew cuts and your standard uniform, you can see by Nazi uniforms, you know, they have skulls on them. Yeah, they're all about they weird, had a little evil bit of a, flair. They were interested in that kind of, like you said, Seamus, that flair. Hollywood has definitely taken that to heart in their depiction of Nazis. And then also there is a specific, like, facial structure that obviously casting directors think, that guy's a Nazi. It's like the way his chin and his cheekbones <laughs> yeah, exactly. make the weird, like, 
trapezoid. You'd hate to get typecast as having Nazi face in Hollywood, huh? That would be pretty bad for your career, but hey, you, you know, a lot of World War II movies being made. This guy looks perfect for the part. And that guy is, for our listeners at home, Euron Greyjoy from the last couple seasons of Game of Thrones. I think if we go any further, we just have to mark spoilers, so let's go ahead and give our final thoughts on this one. I think this movie was a lot of fun. I wish I saw it in a theater, I think, because of how impressed I was by just all of the special effects were the highlight for me in this film, so I think it might be a little long. They could shave off about 20 minutes in the front, maybe, but no real big gripes besides that the front seemed a little long. Wyatt Russell kills it. It's, it's real good. I mean, like I've said, I'm not a war movie person, but with this, you know, I had fun with it. It's good if you go into this, like, and don't think about it. It's a fun, cheesy B-movie. Like, go along for the ride, you'll have a good time. It's got some pretty decent, like, spooky effects. I recommend it. Check it out. That's where I'm at, too. It's better, I think, than I remembered it being, partially because I had certain preconceived notions about what kind of movie it was going to be. And going in a little bit fresher this time, I really enjoyed it a lot more. I think, ideally, if you don't know anything about it, that would be great. So, if you've not seen it, don't listen to spoilers. Go and watch it first. It's on Amazon Prime and on Hulu right now. Oh, yeah, I totally agree, actually. And while it's not exactly a Halloween movie, it is in the spirit of the season, I think. Last question, boys, before we go into spoilers. Do you have thoughts about what movie we should recommend this as a double feature for? That's going to be our, our new segment at the end of our movie main segments, is a movie that we think this would double feature well with. Because I've got an idea, but I want to hear if you guys have thoughts first. As far as double features go, try watching this and then immediately afterward put on Saving Private Ryan. Oh, I was going to say, have you boys ever seen, I believe it's a Norwegian film, the original Dead Snow? No, I have not. Really good movie. I haven't seen it in years. Totally a blast. Really similar vein of like practical gore and maybe a little lighter in tone just because it's in present day and not in like straight up Nazi occupied France but similar tone maybe watch Overlord first and then Dead Snow just because of the time technically it could be kind of in the same universe maybe it definitely couldn't be but yeah who knows my idea for a double feature might technically constitute as a spoiler if you want to go completely fresh into this movie go ahead and skip this part I think for multiple reasons, this movie would pair really well with The Thing. Yeah, you know what? I think that's a pretty good one, too. You know, similar sci-fi stuff going on with the threat of what's happening. You got your your Russell blood in the mix there. It's, it's an interesting one. Truly, I think if you watch The Thing and then this, back-to-back, back, you've got your little Russell energy, like you were talking about, Seamus, and you've got your science fiction body horror. Yeah, wow. Like father, like son, truly. I like that, Garrett. With that, let's fully move into spoilers where we can talk about, you know, the real meat of this movie, which is zombies, apparently. Oh, that guy's <laughs> neck. Ace photographer Jimmy Dumbass gets snapped in half, dude. It's crazy. <laughs> that is practical. That was that puppetry and animatronics. No it's insane. Mm-hmm. That made me, it's like, so jump good. out of my seat when, when that goes down. That's where my mom started. Yeah, I, if anybody was curious. I can only imagine. There's some really gruesome, just, like, classic war movie stuff. You know, people getting ripped apart by machine guns, stepping on landmines, and, like, just completely disappearing. Very classic-y Saving Private Ryan things. But then once we get to the... Ooh, once we get to that church, we get to see a little bit of the real threats here. 
wow, does this movie start See, to actually pick up a little more. See, Seamus, I can't agree with you about shaving 20 minutes off the top because I feel like the brilliance of this movie is that it is split so firmly into standard <laughs> war movie and insane B-movie. I love that. I mean, it's almost exactly halfway through the movie you start to get this switch. So if you are, like, settled into, like, oh, wow, this is, like, a pretty interesting depiction of, like, a mission on D-Day or on the eve of D-Day, then you get just blindsided by all this science stuff it's i guess i'm just a victim of marketing <laughs> yeah i knew fully well going into this thing all right it's a nazi zombie movie i have in my notes like bro we're 40 minutes into this movie <laughs> where are the zombies yeah man that was my issue that when I went to see this movie, my buddies and I went and saw it because we were like, oh, it's going to be a Nazi zombie movie that looks like a good time. And it was a good time, except there were a lot fewer Nazi zombies than I think anybody anticipated based on the marketing. There's a couple points where you think like, oh, here we go. Here we're going to get the big zombie army that they keep talking about for the Nazis and they're going to be a big showdown. And, you know, I read up a little bit on this and like that was very much supposed to be... A bigger part of it was the bigger collection of these very interesting looking zombie creatures but like even once they do get to the church they still have to like go back again before they get to like see anything truly for what the point of this lab is i think that rewrite was a good decision even though i think all three of us are kind of like why cut out some of that more zombie stuff the secret is to having a fun B-movie. that You don't necessarily have to be invested in the characters, but you have to know the characters well enough that their arcs pay off in a satisfying way in the third act of the B-movie once stuff starts getting weird. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, like you were saying, Gary, I don't even really dislike the first half of this movie at all. It's it's a solid piece of work for what it is trying to achieve in this setup stuff. But I don't know, man. I feel like there might be a couple spots here and there that just felt a little bit longer. I don't know. Maybe I would have had a different opinion if I was missing out on some of the character stuff at the beginning and through the travel to the village itself. But I think maybe my, my disappointment in the lack of monster creatures maybe is is tainting my vision of the front part of this movie anyway there are only two moments where i wish they leaned into the zombie stuff a little bit more which are the moment where she has the flamethrower i wish that she had kept the flamethrower yeah, she throws it away immediately and one i would have really liked for her to go back into the church and get the rest of the zombies but even if they hadn't done that it would have been really nice for her to take the flamethrower and that's the way she rescues paul and the other guys yeah sure and then the other one is, also with Chloe, when she's fleeing the Nazi on the motorcycle that looks like Matt Smith. Wait, that's the guy you think looks guys. like Matt Smith? <laughs> yeah, do you not think that guy looks Hell like Matt no. Smith? no, what are you talking about, dude? Are you kidding me? Tweet us if you think that guy looks like Matt Hashtag Smith. Hashtag Matt Smith imposter. Hashtag Matt Smith is a Nazi? Well, nope, nope, we can't nope. do that. <laughs> Though, wait, doesn't he play a Nazi? No, he plays Charles Manson, who has a swastika tattoo. Whatever. What? Yeah. Well, he plays Prince Philip on The Crown, whose entire family was oh, Nazis. Oh, take so... that, Prince Philip. Is he alive? <laughs> Does he listen to the show? Barely. He's being kept alive like a spinal cord with a head attached to it in a Nazi lab. Oh, God, yeah. Why do we talk about that? The more of these science experiments. We have our weird zombie pods. Oh, yeah, those were gross down in as the hell, lab. too. Yeah. What is in that? Is it just, like, juice? Well, there's a guy in there with the tar being Yeah, the tar thing that they really gloss over, too. Which is presumably what happened to Chloe's aunt? 
is that she was in one of the pods. Yeah, and then I can only assume that the weird Nazi unconsensual sex attempt, he kept mentioning a deal that they made. I assume that was like she got her aunt back from the church by making this messed up deal. And if we're going to less upsetting, well, now still pretty upsetting historical accuracies, the head part, if we're going to backtrack a second, have you guys ever yeah. seen that World War II footage of the severed head kept alive? It no. is upsetting. Wait, so that's based on well, real they, it was, Nazi experiments? Uh, what are you saying to me right Well, now? I don't want to blow the whistle on old US of A, but I'm pretty sure it's American footage of a dog that they were experimenting on and that the Nazis were also... It was basically both sides were trying to figure out how to kind of do what they were trying to do in this movie by like keeping people alive way past when they were supposed to. And there's like some very messed up footage of kind of a successful attempt at this with an animal and it is messed up. That's the first thing I thought of. That is profound. Oh, 100%. You know, that's kind of what they were doing in this Nazi lab in this movie, except with a human head attached to a spinal cord, huh? Well, we've got our creepy, schnivelly little Nazi doctor who is decidedly not a world leader in the field of Absolutely optics. not. But he did and... make the super soldier serum, apparently. Yeah, just kind of horribly wrong. <laughs> He kind of did. There's a little bit of Captain America in this. There's a little bit of Indiana Jones in this, in that the Captain America super soldier serum is in this, and the mystical artifact with otherworldly powers in the yeah. tar. It's all very familiar, and maybe that's why we're kind of enjoying the parts that we're feeling like we can attach to here. That is definitely a joy of this movie, is that it's a combination of different familiar elements put together in a pleasing way. I mean, all of that plus all of the ingenuity and skin crawliness of the practical effects used in this movie. They have good screenwriting, or at the very least competent screenwriting, in that the characters all have definite personality traits, there are good setups and payoffs... Like with Ford having Waffner's mm-hmm. lighter. The practical effects are spectacular. The actors are really good. So all of it just kind of works. And I also can't imagine this movie was made for very much money. Oh, no, yeah. I, I mean, I feel like, if anything, most of the money probably went into those special effects that we keep praising. It's just good filmmaking. Yeah. I liked this movie. I'm glad that we got to talk about it on the podcast. Yeah, I'm, f- I'm glad I finally got to actually watch it. And I guess I wasn't expecting, like, the best movie I've ever seen. And I was wholly satisfied with all of the cool stuff here, you know? And like you said, it's good filmmaking. There there are parts that feel like his run from the, the final explosion, his run from the bunker feels like peak action movie, you know? It, like, looks really good. It feels suspenseful. There's all of the great fist fight stuff between Wyatt Russell and Waffner. I keep calling him Wyatt Russell when I know his name is Ford, but I guess I was doing that when I was watching the movie, too. He's just Wyatt Russell. Yeah, truly. Yeah. Again, I don't I think mean, the names matter all that much. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. You know, and also just bringing it back real quick to something I just said. My only other problem, I guess, that I could call it with this movie and its ending is that I wanted a little bit more of Super Soldier fist fight. Like, we kind of get Wyatt Russell juicing yeah. up. And, like, he's going to fight Waffner. And it gets cut a little short, I think, when that could have been, like, the ultimate showdown moment. But also, I think, if you think about Ford in the vein of character that he is, especially when you consider the kinds of characters that, like, Kurt Russell plays, that character seems less interested in a fist fight than just outsmarting his opponent, which is exactly yeah, what is he true. does. He, uh, you know, he does it with style with that stolen lighter, too. Very fun. 
he inherited the Kurt Russell adversarial screen laugh. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally believe you. <laughs> where he and his adversary are laughing about something at the same time. It's both just him laughing and also like a yeah. middle finger with his voice. It's just terrific. Only the Russells can do that. And maybe Bruce Willis at the end of Die Hard, but that's that's an exception. I've never seen Die Hard. You're lying, Are you kidding me? Are you... Wait a minute. We've talked about... Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, my... I tried watching it once, but it was two in the morning and I fell asleep. Bro, you are killing me here. Oh, my God. Oh, Christmas cannot come soon enough, boys. (laughs) Christmas. Look forward to it, folks. We're doing the classic. You're going to love it, Ricardo. (laughs) I don't even get into it now, but... I can't even imagine what my face looked like. Just that. I can't. <laughs> Half my laughing was looking at your screen, Garrett. So, final thoughts on Overlord? I wouldn't say like, I enjoyed the hell out of this, but it is a fun time. It's like, uh, if you just like go along with it, go with the ride, it's a fun time. I mean, I don't know if I'd watch this like again soon, but... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hate it. It's fun. It's cheesy. I just wish... The concept of Nazi zombies is so, like, inherently kind of cheesy. I wish they would lean more into the whole B-movie thing. Kind of what you just said of, like, it was an interesting and fun time, but not the best thing you've ever seen. That's probably about as good as B-movie gets anyway, so I think it's definitely accomplishing the purely the entertainment factor to, like, keep your attention for the whole time. I think it, it did well on that. My final thoughts, kind of similar to Ricardo's, definitely a very fun time. I probably would watch it again, maybe not, like, super soon, but you know this has less to do with anything ever now but if i'm gonna compare it to the last cloverfield movie it's better than the last cloverfield movie and and that's it it's very interesting because i would like to hear if either of you watch it again because the first time i saw it like truly up until yesterday when i rewatched it i would have completely agreed with you about like yeah i wish they'd leaned into the nazi zombie thing a little bit more but watching it this time without me going in expecting any kind of nazi zombie movie i really enjoyed it a lot more Huh. I think if you go in a little bit cleaner, I think you're probably going to enjoy it more. I th- that might be the best way to do it. Going in as cold as possible, that if you're cold, it's considered a twist of what happens halfway through. So that would be definitely a cool way to do it. So if, if you've, you've seen, seen it, the trailer yeah. <laughs> or know anything about this movie, just neuralize it from your brain. I think it's easier to go into a movie clean if you've already seen it as opposed to like if you've seen the trailer and you're like, okay, when is that going to happen? Yeah, I, I can see that. Well, Garrett, next time I watch this, I will call you immediately. Good. I will be sitting here probably editing the podcast. So... <laughs> now it's time for Where's Riley? The part of the show where we tell you where our friend Riley is. <laughs> I like it. Dude. It's, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> Before we start the segment in earnest, do you guys have any guesses about where Riley is? Nazi Germany. What? <laughs> let's let's hope not. I hope that this isn't happening at Jersey Mike's, but you know. <laughs> hey, I guess we. It's we possible. Don't know. Seamus, speaking of Riley being at work at Jersey Mike's sandwiches, I'm glad that you two are no longer rivals now that you're working at your new cookie place. Wow. All right. Well, you know, Garrett, I. I, I really wasn't going to bring this up on today's podcast because it's got a serious issue, but uh, I know the fans have been clamoring for the end of the sandwich saga, and, you know, I'm here to just lay down the truth. I'm leaving Jimmy John's behind. I know, I know, it's a little much, but I, you know, I, I really, I have to do what's right for me, and I have to give, 
I have to give the victory to the rightfully deserved Sandwich King, Riley DeLuca. And that's really where he is today, is on the throne of sandwiches. Long may he reign. Long may he reign. Foot long may he reign. Oh, <laughs> So is it confirmed you got the insomnia jet? Yeah, 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 I did. I, it was wonderful. I also liked your face, Garrett, where I kind of faked you out with my bit. I, you really <laughs> did? I was like, no, did Seamus have to turn down the cookie jar oh, for some reason? Oh, God. Uh, they listened to his podcast to decide he was an idiot. Exactly. Oh, like. uh, let's hope not. Now it's time for our pop culture reference of the episode, which is going to be the B-movie. Starring Jerry Seinfeld? Exactly. This is the story of Jerry Seinfeld's B-movie. Oh, I remember those live action According to all known laws of aviation, a bee... I don't remember the rest I'm of the I'm gonna speech. kill you, Silgato. I saw that movie once. I didn't even see it when the memes were going around. <laughs> I guess technically I've seen it at like 28 times speed. I did see that meme. A original B-movie is a term that cropped up in the 1940s, which was usually the less publicized second half of a double feature. Usually it would be a movie that was made for less money and would probably have less commercial appeal than whatever the headliner was at that double feature. So that kind of turned into that they were genre movies, westerns started off as B-movies, but then kind of slowly became main-tier movies. But specifically, the bigger B-movies that stayed B-movies, really even to this day, with a few notable exceptions, are science fiction and horror, have pretty much always been B-movies, and they've also always kind of been intertwined. So the B-movie's name is very literal. Think of it like the B-side of a record. It's just the second half that is going to be less popular than the A-side of a double feature. I didn't know it was part of a double feature thing. I just thought it was just like a like a mark about its quality. I mean, now it doesn't necessarily have to be the second half of a double feature, obviously. I think that kind of phased out in like the 60s. But B-movie as a term has kept around because of the exact kind of movie that it's denoting, which is usually a genre film made for low budget, and it's usually kind of pulpier or almost like a grindhouse. That's a subgenre of the B-movie. But that term has stuck around because there are so many films like it still to this day. Do you guys have any favorite B-movies that you want to shout out? The only thing that can come to my head isn't actually a B-movie, but it's about the creation of very famous B-movies. Ed Wood, that's the entire premise is uh, the yes, story dude, of I a... love Ed Wood. Ricardo, you actually showed me Ed Wood, and it is absolutely incredible. I didn't realize it was going to be so good, but the entire plot revolves around the real B-movie director from old Hollywood, Edward D. Wood Jr., and his fame for making the most atrocious B-movies that he could, pretty much. For years in high school, I had the Plan 9 from Outer Space poster on my bed. No way, that's awesome, dude. That's very cool. So yeah, that's B-movies. I really like also that there's been, I think, a really high-quality string of, like, modern B-movies that have been coming out lately. I've noticed that a lot of sci-fi horror films, and I'm lumping in Overlord with this, have been coming out that are just well-made but still being very honest to their B-movie roots. I think Trick or Treat even would fall into this category, which we've shouted out on the show before. Yeah, absolutely. Ricardo, you and I went to see Ready or Not, which I think is also very much a (laughs) B-movie. Definitely a B-movie. One other notable underseen, I think, B-movie recently that I want to shout out is Drew Goddard's Bad Times at the El Royale, which it's more of a thriller. It doesn't really fall into 
horror or science fiction the way that we just denoted that B-movies usually do, but it's still definitely a genre movie. Let's move on to Save the Rec Center. Now it's time to Save the Rec Center, where we give you our rec recommendations for things that we've been enjoying recently. I loved that. Any of you guys have yours locked and loaded? Yeah, I got mine ready to go. I've been thinking about it since yesterday when I actually watched Overlord. It's another film that I hold dear to my heart. It's an insane tonal shift that can be compared to the tonal shift in Overlord. Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino's From Dusk Till Dawn is a fantastic, campy, ridiculous, I think I might say B-movie that... Starts one half of a movie, and then halfway through, you get just absolutely blindsided, much like Overlord. And I think if you haven't seen it and you don't know too much about it, it would be good to go in as cold as possible. But stars George Clooney, Harvey Keitel, Quentin Tarantino, it's bonkers and very entertaining and perfect. I don't want to give too much away, but very good for the Halloween season. So go check it out. That's a good one, Seamus. I like that. I like that movie. Oh, it's one of my favorites. I like the second half of that movie a lot more than I like the first half of that movie. Ooh, I'll that's that. interesting. A lot of times people say the opposite, but, uh... What was uh, the show? Wasn't there a show? Uh, yes, oh, I, I think it's dude. supposed to be okay, that show. I, okay. Also, if we're gonna tack on an extra baby rec center, I fully endorse the From Dusk Till Dawn TV show. It's, it's quite good. Very nice. Ricardo, what do you got? I guess I kind of teased it before earlier in the podcast, but uh, my rec center for this week has got to be Clone High, the forgotten Phil Lord, Chris Miller adult animated sitcom. Is that uh, getting a revival, Ricardo? Yes, yes it is. It was recently announced, I think a couple weeks ago to a month on Twitter. Phil Lord, I think, put out, it's like, we're bringing it back, baby. MTV needs content. (laughs) So Clone High is coming back after 20 years. Here's a thought. What if MTV ran music videos? What is this, the Stone Ages, Garrett? Get out of (laughs) here. No, I've always heard really good things about Clone High, and I've always been really interested in watching it, Ricardo, so I'm going to have to find it and check it out. Yeah, me too. I think the whole thing's actually on YouTube. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. You sent it the whole series to me on YouTube recently that I've been meaning to check out. Sweet. It's a very short 13 episodes, tragically canceled before its time. Which, there's actually a pretty interesting reason behind that. For anyone that doesn't know, Clone High is what it says on the tin. It's a bunch of, like, historical clones. Like, we have Abe Lincoln, JFK, Gandhi, Cleopatra. And they all go to high school together. And there's wanky shenanigans. India was not a fan of their portrayal of Gandhi. <laughs> oh, gosh. And that led to a whole kerfuffle with Viacom, where they were basically like, this show's not worth the trouble it's giving us. And they axed it. Is, but now, 20 years later, we're back. Is their portrayal of Gandhi aged, shall we say? I mean, it's fine. Honestly, all these characters, they don't really bear much of a resemblance to their historical counterpart outside of just the name. Their version of Gandhi was just like a short comedic sidekick to Abe Lincoln's awkward teenager. Abe Lincoln as an awkward teenager sounds pretty accurate to its historical counterpart, <laughs> I will say that. Take that, Lincoln Estate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Abraham Lincoln fan, Seamus. Oh, I'm me not... too. I've watched all those library movies. I am proud of Abraham Lincoln. He did a good job. <laughs> he did A-plus Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> my rec center this week is Abraham yeah. Lincoln. <laughs> Go to Springfield, Illinois. That's my rec here. center. Pop culture reference officially endorses <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. 
All right, Garrett, uh, what do you have for the rec center this week? Well, in the spirit of B-movies, I thought it would be good to recommend another B-movie from recent years that I think was really underseen. I saw this completely blind at a midnight showing at the Music Box. It is The Guest, starring Dan Stevens, about a guy who shows up at a family's house claiming to be an old army buddy of their now-dead son. And it starts out as a relatively innocuous premise that gets stranger and stranger as it goes and it's really best to go in blind and just kind of go along on the roller coaster that it is with the movie dan stevens is a terrific actor i think who really deserves some praise for specifically this role i think he's good in everything he's in and you can stream it on netflix right now so it is set during halloween and really leans into the halloween season so it's a really good time of year to watch that movie yeah, I remember when this one came out, everybody was going crazy about it, but it was kind of the similar, don't look up anything about it, go in cold, you don't want to know too much before you go in, so I didn't even know what the premise was, and that, you know, from what I do know and how positive people feel about it, I think that one might be a good one to hit right now. Great, I think that about wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast on Twitter, or you can email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. If you want to go ahead and subscribe to us on iTunes, leave a review, a like if you're listening on YouTube, all that stuff really helps the show out as we're trying to grow and reach new listeners. So anything like that you could do would be greatly appreciated. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week when we cover our final Halloween entry for this October. Let's go out on a rap song just like Overlord. Garrett, give us a name. And I'm here to say You're going with the, <laughs> the actor's name? <laughs>